and greetings to another episode of Book Smart with Dugly Stay. Today's episode will include a poem by Mr. Nigel Lewis Stevenson. After that, there will be a song, and then Mr. Ross will be in again to read his chapter 29 of part three. It's got to be sacred of the novel, Hard Water. As I understand it, this could be the penultimate chapter. Ah, yes, Nigel. You have a phone call, sir. Line three, sir. Douglas Day. How you doing? Douglas Day. How you doing behind you? You have another call, sir. Line seven, sir. Douglas Day. Made you look. Dirty crook. Douglas Day. Stole your mother's pocketbook. Hit it, Willie. I will turn it over to our sound man and our marketer of our Douglas Day with Booksmart, Booksmart with Douglas Day t-shirts that Mr. Nigel Lewis Stevenson has set up on a Shopify. This is a poem by Nigel from his Oxford series entitled Preliminary Journey, Part 6, The Return. The crucial experiment attempts to convene all of the men who are not wearing their jeans. The professor cum laude will put forth his position. Professor, speak your piece. The uh, interesting thing to know, and I hope you're all with me on this, is that the object once noted is not symmetrical when it is placed upside down. The object is not symmetrical when it is placed upside down. To tell whether or not it is or it isn't isn't the domain of this convening of dignitaries. I have already proven and therefore do not believe there should be more than fodder for the matter. Now, if anyone has an alternative theory, shall they at once and not never come forth and present a mundo? I see a hand. Yes, sir? Excuse me? Mm Mm-hmm. The gentleman asks if the object is asymmetrical when it is upside down. Then why would it not be symmetrical if it was placed right side up? A fair question, fairly asked. Now, sir, to your question, but first of all, how would you know if and when it was right side up? Have you considered this? I'm sure that you have. You look to have the look of a man who has considered many things from many different angles. You look to have the look of a man who has done many things in many different lands. You look to have the look of a man who should or should not be allowed behind the wheel of a large automobile. I say this not to offend you, dear sir, but to appease you of the situation. I do not want you to be hurt, nor do I want you to be hurt by any of the other participants who have so graciously given their time and their patience to tonight's proceedings. Now... If you'll sit down, sir. Rolling on to someone you love Sure makes life worthwhile Big shiny moon up above Rolling down a sycamore mile Rolling down the sycamore mile Rolling on to someone you love 
sure makes life all right All they've been pushed came to shove Gonna have a sweet Tuesday night Gonna have a sweet Tuesday night And here comes that red light It beats all I've ever seen How much of my life does it take? I'll cut on my headlights while I wait for the green Waiting with my foot on the brain I'm rolling home to someone you love Sure makes life okay I ride that road to wear Going home the fastest away Going home the fastest away just heard sing Mr. Steve Forbert rocked the house in Boston in 1980 and he's still rocking it today dig that mouth organ that incisive guitar and that joyous whoop this is Mortimer Page thank you Mortimer thank you Nigel Lewis Stevenson Mr. Ross, how are you today? I'm good, Douglas. How are you doing? Hey, Nigel. Tip-tap-ba. Mr. Ross, is it true? Penultimate chapter? Chapter 29? I think so. I think so, yes. And I have an epilogue that matches the prologue. Mmm, can't forget the epilogue. Anything to tell us about today's chapter, Mr. Ross? Well, I did something that is... Probably inadvisable, maybe not, but I introduced a new character in this chapter, so you will meet a couple new characters, actually. Mm, pretty close to the end and jamming in more characters. Up for debate. Mr. Ross, what do you think of Nigel's poetry? 
I liked it. I I always liked Nigel's poetry. I especially liked his use of the um, the part about the object is not symmetrical when it is placed upside down. That whole rigmarole um, caught my attention, and I loved his first line, the crucial experiment. I thought that was a good line. Mm. Well, Mr. Ross, whenever you're ready to yam on chapter 29 of Hard Water. Thanks, Douglas. Chapter 29 of part three, it's got to be sacred, of the novel Hard Water. Phasianus Colchicus, the ring-neck pheasant crows a piercing cock-cock where the meadow meets the woods. Meliagris Galapavo, the zigzagging wild turkey is hard to shoot and eat. Bonasa Umbellus, the elusive rough grouse. Catartes Aura, the turkey vulture cleans up the mess. Bubo Virginianus, the great horned owl with the cat-like tufts that look like ears. Tito Alba, the brown-eyed barn owl, ghostly at night with a white heart-shaped face of a monkey. Caprimulgus vociferus, the whip-poor-will that haunts the night air. Megaceral alcyon, the belted kingfisher sounds like a dry rattle. Herundu rustica, the industrious barn swallow goes, Sisa, Sisa. Corvus corax, the lone raven mumbles low knocks. Zeniata macrura, the lacrimose morning dove brings tears to mine eyes. Bombacilia garrulus, the bohemian waxwing thrives on the berries of winter. Cyanata cristata, the raucous blue jay rings the alarm. Cardinalis cardinalis, so nice they had to name him twice, the one-eyed cardinal named Benjamin who perches on the left shoulder and pecks the left ear of I, Erasmus, T, coil. Mimus polyglottis, the mockingbird, perches on the right shoulder of I, Erasmus, T, coil. I owe my ornithology education to one Dr. Homer Thorstenberg, late of Chattanooga, Tennessee. His home will become a museum someday. He had noticed how delicately I could darn a sock, a talent which would come in handy in the taxonomy of his beloved birds, collected on journeys near and far. It were my grandmammy who taught me how to wield the needle and thread, she said, Nothing is needed more than dry socks when out of doors. And she would say, Son, no matter what happens or happened, you've got to strive to be good and do good and not give up on what's good ever, ever, ever. There is always hope, Erasmus. There is always hope, she would say. And why? Because hope is a choice. You either have it or you don't, but it's your choice, Erasmus. So invest in hope, young feller. Now let me see that sock. She had been so bold to approach Dr. Thorstenberg to tutor me on the world of birds. In those hours, he would take me from specimen to specimen, pronouncing the Latin until ultimately I could parrot every last detail let slip from his mouth. I'm glad you like birds, he drawled. Yes, I'm glad that you do. 
because they ain't around for very long, my boy, two and a half years on average. Can you imagine the people that you meet and yourself even, a lifespan of beginning, middle, and end that lasts an average two and a half years. Dr. Thorstenberg dropped his chin down to his sternum, clasped his wrist behind him, and shook his head from side to side with an almost violent vigor. Well, he burst, this here is Mimus Polyglottis Mockingbird. Never met a language she didn't love. She's as tame as a pussycat, and she'll perch on your shoulder. And the idea, my young man, the idea is to have her accompany you on your way to Chicago so that she is exposed to the rhythms and sounds and sights of her northeastern and ultimately her midwestern brethren. Upon your arrival in Chicago, you will have waiting the brilliant staff of the Thorstenberg Center for the Study of Birds. The present director, Dr. Gloria Trainer, will secure the two birds from you and enroll you in this life-changing turn of events. The great man moves a pace or two to his right hand, still clasped behind, and looks up at a cardinal singing in its cage. Looks normal to you, son, from where you're standing? Yes, I said. Well, come take a look around the other side, his bad side, minus an eye. But this fellow is scrappy. Cardinal Alice, Cardinal Alice, who we call Benjamin. Beyond his missing eye, son, is his intense connection to yonder Mimus Polyglottis. He really would die, son, would die if his boon companion was taken away without him. So, Benjamin shall accompany you and Mimus Polyglottis on your journey. You see, as Mimus Polyglottis delves further north and is thuswise influenced by the drear northern calls, Benjamin, who is tone deaf, shall occupy the clear voice of the south to counterbalance the renderings of Mimus Polyglottis. You shall no doubt be entertained by listening to them chat across your chest in cardinal leaves on its lilt and twang to the blessed land of Tennessee. And let me be clear here. It's all about language and its effect on the psyche of the community. The community in this case represented by the North and the South. Can the way that language is expressed, pronounced, curtailed, exaggerated, lead to a greater understanding and possibly promises of a never-ending peace? Is language at the heart of what we call progress? I, for one, believe it is. Indeed, there are no limits to progress, said the professor. When he last shook my hand, he lightly offered the following phrase into the porches of my ear. Don't be afraid anymore. Don't be afraid anymore. And that's how come I'm on my way to Chicago. And how come I've got two birds shoulder-perched? The trip, as I understand it, is both my ticket to ride 
and an experiment in which his Miami polyglottis would, at the conclusion of our journey in the city of Chicago, be analyzed for her speech patterns. When I explained all the circumstances to the young farm girl I met in the meadow, she said, Well, I'll be. I'm fixing to make a trip to Chicago by way of Cincinnati, if you wouldn't mind the company. Don't mind it at all, said I. Splendid, she said. How's about we leave on Tuesday, the day of cause and effect? Sounds okay to me. So I followed the girl up to her brother's room where I commenced sketching, sleeping, and eating. Not necessarily in that order. Till Tuesday. Pause. When I let my parents know I was off to Chicago, my mama took my chin between her fingers and said, We always knew you'd be leaving, Ruth. What with your brothers gone, it's bound to be lonely for you. We know you have to go and we wish you all the goodness that life has to offer. That was all I had to hear to journey far from here, the place I called home for nigh on 16 year. The plan was to stop in Cincy at Arthur Seat's farm, Ridgeo, and then continue on to Chicago to catch up with Goodall. The world-renowned ornithologist Dr. Homer Thorstenberg would welcome Erasmus T. Coyle into his laboratory to begin the process of analyzing the mockingbird's speech patterns pre- and post-journey. As you've gathered, Erasmus came from Tennessee. It weren't long till he was like one of the family. I laid some of the Ogle Bay Bee newspaper down on the hardwood floor underneath my brother's drying rack where Benjamin, the one-eyed cardinal, and Daisy, the mimus polyglottis, did perch and sing. When he wasn't out tromping through the meadows and the woods, Erasmus would retreat to the quietude of my brother's room, spending multiple hours getting his sketches just right. I came to his room in the late afternoon. What you working on today, I asked. The great blue heron I saw hunting in your creek. Can I see it? Of course. That's a beauty, I said. They bring good luck, you know, especially if you see them in flight. I believe it, and I almost can't believe it, that I am leaving this farm, my home, for all of my life. I look at the barn and I think about the sound and smell and orderliness of the milking, and of my dad and brother sloshing through the muck, efficiently milking. I look at the house and I think of my mother cooking up our morning meal of eggs, grits, bacon, sausage, flapjacks, coffee, tea, milk, cream, fruit. I think of the leftover scraps in the small bucket, all higglied up for the clowder of cats to come sniff and devour. And I already told you about riding Pepper and playing with Blaze and healing the soldiers who come through here fairly continuously, needing to be patched up. With all due respect, I've had enough. I hear tell the war will be over soon, and that just means more, more, more traumatized folk coming through like a never-ending blood-stained bandage leading right to my door. So, when this fellow Erasmus T. Coyle came through and told me he was heading to Chicago, I thought, well, how do you do? I've been meaning to hit that happening town. Chicago, Chicago, a beautiful town, for some time now. Of course, I feel guilty about leaving the farm and leaving my parents, but this was, is a sign Erasmus T. Coyle coming here with two birds on his shoulders. And oh, won't it be fun to pop in on good old Mr. Arthur Eugene's seat at his farm in Cincy and ultimately the young Mr. Joseph Goodall taking bets in Chicago. I'll take some of this West Virginia soil with me and a locket around my neck 
It don't ever leave you, the living in these hills. The black snake dangling from the walnut limb, his shredded skin simply hanging and blowing in the breeze. The plop-plop of the walnuts hitting the ground. The daffodils in spring, the owls in winter snow, perched in the oak tree overlooking Dick Wood's road. The peepers greeting dust down by the pond. The yellow-bellied sapsuckers ancient zigzagging traverse up the bark of the poplar tree. The skin of the leopard frogs gleaming in the warm summer sun. The swimming in the endless mountains. Hitting a hard line drive down the line past the outstretched arms of the third baseman. Bringing in the championship winning run off of none other than the legendary Becky Subbage on the mound. Swimming in the endless mountains hiking up to Wyalusing Heights to watch the river wind loosely like a snake through the fertile valley below. Oh, West Virginia, how I will miss you. But time, place, and circumstance pulls me on down the road. I have faith in God above that this trip is the best choice I can make in my life right now. Staying on the farm forevermore just ain't me. Rather I be on the lip of the lake in Chicago with a banjo on my knee. I will go and live with Goodall and raise a family. Oh, go to Chicago, for Chicago calls to thee. You were born in West Virginia, but you're always blood to me. Goodbye, setting sun over the river. Goodbye, bobcats, red and gray foxes. Goodbye, blessed country store. Swimming in Paradise Lake, carving our names on trees, the soups at white grass, my dog, my cats. But maybe when I get to Chicago, me and Goodall can get a dog like Blaze or a cat like Alibaba. Oh, Blaze, how I'll miss you, boy. I would have to make a sacred space, a sacred space within my heart to hold all the memories of home. I wouldn't give that heart to just anyone, but Goodall comes to mind. Everything that's in your heart, unblemished by thought, criticism, or judgment, it just is. Sometimes our hearts get empty. I know. I've been there. And I've seen enough hard water to clock the fact that the horrors of war can put a hole in your soul. And the trick is, the tricky part is, is how do you fill it? How do you stop both the good and the bad from flying out of you? Well, there's a way which we've already been through. Talk, talk talk till it goes, goes away. And you're just left with you who houses the inner malady of guilt for what you done did. But don't forget, you also house layers below and above that strata of guilt and fear and pain that outnumber them. Thus, outshadow the shadow itself of pain, guilt, and shame with the counterbalance of what is peaceful, calm, and good. The other approach of creating a sacred space where one can let go of time is a good one too. There are lettings go in both strategies of dealing with one's past. A balance of both of them is probably where most of us lay these days anyway. So, until next time, this is Ruth I. Healer from the infant state of West Virginia and the budding ornithologist Erasmus T. for Tennessee Coil, signing off from here to eternity. Gucci, Gucci, goo, we love you.
Stumbled into a St. Patrick's Cathedral, 20th and Lombard in Philadelphia in the 90s, which could be what you just heard, the perfectly constructed song written by and sung by the Irish musician John Spillane 
and the band Nomos, N as in Nancy, O, M as in Montenegro, O, S, Nomos, early 90s, St. Patrick's Hall, John Spillane wrote and sings the song, How About That Concertina and Hitting Them Skins? Thank you to our musicians today, Mr. Steve Forbert and John Spillane of the band Nomos. This is Mortimer Page. Thank you, Mortimer. This has been, before I forget, this episode of Booksmart has been brought to you by The Twelve Steps to Natural Gardening by Mr. Al Krauter, K-R-A-U-T-T-E-R. You've got Japanese beetles invading your lawn, try nematodes or milky spore. Stop dumping chemicals onto your lawns, people. This has been another episode of Book Smart with Douglas Day. Peace.